0: Psalm eighteen part two of the Treasury of David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Treasury of David, volume one by Charles Spurgeon. Psalm eighteen part two. Verses twenty to twenty eight. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt shew thyself merciful, with an upright man thou wilt shew thyself upright, with the pure thou wilt shew thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt shew thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Verse 20 The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Viewing this psalm as prophetical of the Messiah, these strongly expressed claims to righteousness are readily understood, for his garments were white as snow. But considered as the language of David, they have perplexed many. Yet the case is clear and if the words be not strained beyond their original intention, no difficulty need occur. Albeit that the dispensations of divine grace are, to the fullest degree, sovereign and irrespective of human merit, yet in the dealings of providence there is often discernible a rule of justice by which the injured are at length avenged, and the righteous ultimately delivered. David's early troubles arose from the wicked malice of envious Saul, who no doubt prosecuted his persecutions under cover of charges brought against the character of the man after God's own heart. These charges David declares to have been utterly false, and asserts that he possessed a grace-given righteousness, which the Lord had graciously rewarded in defiance of all his calumniators. Before God the man after God's own heart was a humble sinner, but before his slanderers he could with unblushing face speak of the cleanness of his hands, and the righteousness of his life. He knows little of the sanctifying power of divine grace, who is not at the bar of human equity able to plead innocence. There is no self-righteousness in an honest man knowing that he is honest, nor even in his believing that God rewards him in providence because of his honesty, for such is often a most evident matter of fact but it would be self-righteousness indeed if we transferred such thoughts from the region of providential government to the spiritual kingdom, for there grace reigns not only supreme, but sole in the distribution of divine favors. It is not at all an opposition to the doctrine of salvation by grace, and no sort of evidence of pharisaic spirit, when a gracious man, having been slandered, stoutly maintains his integrity, and vigorously defends his character. A godly man has a clear conscience, and knows himself to be upright. Is he to deny his own consciousness, and to despise the work of the Holy Ghost, by hypocritically making himself out to be worse than he is? A godly man prizes his integrity very highly, or else he would not be a godly man at all. Is he to be called proud because he will not readily lose the jewel of a reputable character?" A godly man can see that in divine providence, uprightness and truth are in the long run sure to bring their own reward. May he not, when he sees that reward bestowed in his own case, praise the Lord for it? Yea, rather, must he not show forth the faithfulness and goodness of his God? Read the cluster of expressions in this and the following verses as the song of a good conscience after having safely outridden a storm of obloquy, persecution and abuse and there will be no fear of our upbraiding the writer as one who set too high a price upon his own moral character. Verse 21 Here the assertion of purity is repeated, both in a positive and a negative form. There is, I have, and I have not, both of which must be blended in a truly sanctified life. Constraining and restraining grace must each take its share, The words of this verse refer to the saint as a traveller carefully keeping to the ways of the Lord, and not wickedly, that is, designedly, willfully, persistently, defiantly forsaking the ordained pathway in which God favours the pilgrim with his presence. Observe how it is implied in the expression, And have not wickedly departed from my God, that David lived habitually in communion with God, and knew him to be his own God, whom he might speak of as My God. God never departs from his people. Let them take heed of departing from him. Verse 22. For all his judgments were before me. The word, the character, and the actions of God should be evermore before our eyes. We should learn, consider, and reverence them. Men forget what they do not wish to remember but the excellent attributes of the Most High are objects of the believer's affectionate and delighted admiration. We should keep the image of God so constantly before us that we become in our measure conformed to it. This inner love to the right must be the mainspring of Christian integrity in our public walk. The fountain must be filled with love to holiness, and then the streams which issue from it will be pure and gracious. I did not put away his statutes from me. To put away the scriptures from the mind's study is the certain way to prevent their influencing the outward conversation. Backsliders begin with dusty Bibles and go on to filthy garments. Verse 23. I was also upright before him. Sincerity is here claimed, sincerity such as would be accounted genuine before the bar of God. Whatever evil men might think of him, David felt that he had the good opinion of his God. Moreover, freedom from his one great besetting sin he ventures also to plead, I have kept myself from mine iniquity. It is a very gracious sign when the most violent parts of our nature have been well guarded. If the weakest link in the chain is not broken, the stronger links will be safe enough. David's impetuous temper might have led him to slay Saul when he had him in his power, but grace enabled him to keep his hands clean of the blood of his enemy. But what a wonder it was, and how well worthy of such a grateful record as these verses afford. It will be a sweet cordial to us one of these days to remember our self-denials, and to bless God that we were able to exhibit them. Verse 24 God first gives us holiness, and then rewards us for it. We are his workmanship, vessels made unto honor, and when made, the honor is not withheld from the vessel, though, in fact, it all belongs to the potter upon whose wheel the vessel was fashioned. The prize is awarded to the flower at the show, but the gardener reared it. The child wins the prize from the schoolmaster, but the real honor of his schooling lies with the master, although instead of receiving, he gives the reward. Verse 25. THE DEALINGS OF THE LORD IN HIS OWN CASE CAUSE THE GRATEFUL SINNER TO REMEMBER THE USUAL RULE OF GOD'S MORAL GOVERNMENT. HE IS JUST IN HIS DEALINGS WITH THE SONS OF MEN, AND MEETS OUT TO EACH MAN ACCORDING TO HIS MEASURE. WITH THE MERCIFUL THOU WILT SHEW THYSELF MERCIFUL, WITH AN UPRIGHT MAN THOU WILT SHEW THYSELF UPRIGHT. EVERY MAN SHALL HAVE HIS MEAT WEIGHED IN HIS OWN SCALES, HIS CORN meted OUT IN HIS OWN BUSHEL and his land measured with his own rod. No rule can be more fair to ungodly men more terrible, or to the generous more honorable. How would men throw away their light weights, and break their short yards, if they could but believe that they themselves are sure to be in the end the losers by their knavish tricks? Note that even the merciful need mercy. No amount of generosity to the poor, or forgiveness to enemies, can set us beyond the need of mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me a sinner verse twenty six with the pure thou wilt shew thyself pure with the froward thou wilt shew thyself froward the sinner's frowardness is sinful and rebellious and the only sense in which the term can be applied to the most high god is that of judicial opposition and sternness in which the judge of all the earth will act at cross-purposes with the offender and let him see that all things are not to be made subservient to wicked whims and wilful fancies. Calvin very forcibly says, "This brutish and monstrous stupidity in men compels God to invent new modes of expression, and as it were to clothe Himself with a different character." There is a similar sentence in Leviticus 26:21 to 24, where God says, "And if ye walk contrary to." or perversely with, me, then I will also walk contrary unto, or perversely, or roughly, or at random with, you. As if he had said that their obstinacy and stubbornness would make him on his part forget his accustomed forbearance and gentleness, and cast himself recklessly, or at random, against them. We see then what the stubborn at length gain by their obduracy. It is this, that God hardens himself still more to break them in pieces, and if they are of stone, he causes them to feel that he has the hardness of iron. The Jewish tradition was that the manna tasted according to each man's mouth. Certainly God shows himself to each individual according to his character. Verse 27 For thou wilt save the afflicted people. This is a comforting assurance for the poor in spirit, whose spiritual griefs admit of no sufficient solace from any other than a divine hand. They cannot save themselves, nor can others do it, but God will save them. But wilt bring down high looks. Those who look down on others with scorn shall be looked down upon with contempt ere long. The Lord abhors a proud look. What a reason for repentance and humiliation! How much better to be humble than to provoke God to humble us in his wrath! A considerable number of clauses occur in this passage in the future tense. How forcibly are we thus brought to remember that our present joy or sorrow is not to have so much weight with us as the great and eternal future. Verse 28. For thou wilt light my candle. Even the children of the day sometimes need candlelight. In the darkest hour light will arise. A candle shall be lit. It will be comfort such as we may fittingly use without dishonesty. It will be our own candle. Yet God himself will find the holy fire with which the candle shall burn. Our evidences are our own, but their comfortable light is from above. Candles which are lit by God the devil cannot blow out. All candles are not shining, and so there are some graces which yield no present comfort. But it is well to have candles which may by and by be lit. And it is well to possess graces which may yet afford us cheering evidences the metaphor of the whole verse is founded upon the dolorous nature of darkness and the delightfulness of light truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun and even so the presence of the lord removes all the gloom of sorrow and enables the believer to rejoice with exceeding great joy The lighting of the lamp is a cheerful moment in the winter's evening, but the lifting up of the light of God's countenance is happier far. It is said that the poor in Egypt will stint themselves of bread to buy oil for the lamp, so that they may not sit in darkness. We could well afford to part with all earthly comforts if the light of God's love could but constantly gladden our souls. Verses 29 to 45 For by Thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength, and maketh my way perfect. HE MAKETH MY FEET LIKE HIND'S FEET, AND SETTETH ME UPON MY HIGH PLACES. HE TEACHETH MY HANDS TO WAR, SO THAT A BOW OF STEEL IS BROKEN BY MINE ARMS. THOU HAST ALSO GIVEN ME THE SHIELD OF THY SALVATION, AND THY RIGHT HAND HATH HOLDEN ME UP, AND THY GENTLENESS HATH MADE ME GREAT. THOU HAST ENLARGED MY STEPS UNDER ME, THAT MY FEET DID NOT SLIP, I have pursued mine enemies, and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them, that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen, A people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away, or be afraid of their close places. Some repetitions are not vain repetitions. Second thoughts upon God's mercy should be, and often are, the best. Like wines on the lees, our gratitude grows stronger and sweeter as we meditate upon divine goodness. The verses which we have now to consider are the ripe fruit of a thankful spirit. They are apples of gold as to matter, and they are placed in baskets of silver as to their language. They describe the believer's victorious career and his enemy's confusion. Verse 29. For by thee have I run through a troop and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Whether we meet the foe in the open field, or leap upon them while they lurk behind the battlements of a city, we shall by God's grace defeat them in either case. If they hem us in with living legions, or environ us with stone walls, we shall with equal certainty obtain our liberty. Such feats we have already performed, hewing our way at a run through hosts of difficulties, and scaling impossibilities at a leap. God's warriors may expect to have a taste of every form of fighting, and must by the power of faith determine to quit themselves like men. But it behooves them to be very careful to lay all their laurels at Jehovah's feet, each one of them saying, By my God have I wrought this valiant deed. Our spolia optima, the trophies of our conflicts, we hereby dedicate to the God of battles, and ascribe to him all glory and strength. Verse 30 As for God, His way is perfect. Far past all fault and error are God's dealings with His people. All His actions are resplendent with justice, truth, tenderness, mercy, and holiness. Every way of God is complete in itself, and all His ways put together are matchless in harmony and goodness. It is not very consolatory to believe that He who has begun to bless us will perfect His work, for all his ways are perfect. Nor must the divine word be without its song of praise. The word of the Lord is tried, like silver refined in the furnace. The doctrines are glorious, the precepts are pure, the promises are faithful, and the whole revelation is superlatively full of grace and truth. David had tried it, thousands have tried it, we have tried it, and it has never failed. It was meet that when way and word had been extolled the lord himself should be magnified hence it is added he is a buckler to all those that trust in him no armour of proof or shield of brass so well secures the warrior as the covenant god of israel protects his warring people he himself is the buckler of trustful ones what a thought is this what peace may every trusting soul enjoy Verse 31. Having mentioned his God, the psalmist's heart burns, and his words sparkle. He challenges heaven and earth to find another being worthy of adoration or trust, in comparison with Jehovah. His God, as Matthew Henry says, is a none such. The idols of the heathen he scorns to mention, snuffing them all out as mere nothings when deity is spoken of. Who is god save the lord who else creates sustains foresees and overrules who but he is perfect in every attribute and glorious in every act to whom but jehovah should creatures bow who else can claim their service and their love who is a rock save our god where can lasting hopes be fixed where can the soul find rest where is stability to be found Where is strength to be discovered? Surely in the Lord Jehovah alone can we find rest and refuge. Verse 32. Surveying all the armor in which he fought and conquered, the joyful victor praises the Lord for every part of the panoply. The girdle of his loins earns the first stanza. It is God that girdeth me with strength, and maketh my way perfect. Girt about the loins with power from heaven, the warrior was filled with vigor far above all created might. And whereas without this wondrous belt he would have been feeble and effeminate, with relaxed energies and scattered forces, he felt himself, when braced with the girdle of truth, to be compact in purpose, courageous in daring, and concentrated in power, so that his course was a complete success so undisturbed by disastrous defeat as to be called perfect? Have we been made more than conquerors over sin? And has our life hitherto been such as becometh the gospel? Then let us ascribe all the glory to him who girt us with his own inexhaustible strength, that we might be unconquered in battle and unwearied in pilgrimage. Verse 33. The conqueror's feet had been shod by a divine hand, and the next note must, therefore, refer to them. He maketh my feet like hinds' feet, and setteth me upon my high places. Pursuing his foes, the warrior had been swift of foot as a young roe, but, instead of taking pleasure in the legs of a man, he ascribes the boon of swiftness to the Lord alone. When our thoughts are nimble, and our spirits rapid, like the chariots of a let us not forget that our best beloved's hand has given us the choice favor. Climbing into impregnable fortresses, David had been preserved from slipping, and made to stand where scarce the wild goat can find a footing. Herein was preserving mercy manifested. We, too, have our high places of honor, service, temptation, and danger, but hitherto we have been kept from falling. Bring hither the harp, and let us emulate the psalmist's joyful thanksgiving. Had we fallen, our wailings must have been terrible. Since we have stood, let our gratitude be fervent. Verse 34. He teacheth my hands to war. Martial prowess and skill in the use of weapons are gratefully acknowledged to be the result of divine teaching. No sacrifice is offered at the Shrine of Self in praise of natural dexterity or acquired skillfulness but, regarding all warlike prowess as a gift of heavenly favor, thankfulness is presented to the giver. The Holy Spirit is the great drill-master of heavenly soldiers. So that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. A bow of brass is probably meant, and these bows can scarcely be bent by the arms alone. The archer had to gain the assistance of his foot. It was, therefore, a great feat of strength to bend the bow, so far as to even snap it in halves. This was meant of the enemy's bow, which he not only snatched from his grasp, but rendered useless by breaking it in pieces. Jesus not only destroyed the fiery suggestions of Satan, but he broke his arguments with which he shot them, by using holy scripture against him. By the same means we may win a like triumph, "'breaking the bow and cutting the spear in sunder "'by the sharp edge of revealed truth. "'Probably David had by nature a vigorous bodily frame, "'but it is even more likely that, like Samson, "'he was at times clothed with more than common strength. "'At any rate, he ascribes the honor of his feasts entirely to his God. "'Let us never wickedly rob the Lord of his due, "'but faithfully give unto him the glory which is due unto his name.' Verse 35. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. Above all, we must take the shield of faith, for nothing else can quench Satan's fiery darts. This shield is of celestial workmanship, and is in all cases a direct gift from God himself. It is the channel, the sign, the guarantee, and the earnest of perfect salvation. Thy right hand hath holden me up, Secret support is administered to us by the preserving grace of God, and at the same time providence kindly yields us manifest aid. We are such babes that we cannot stand alone, but when the Lord's right hand upholds us, we are like brazen pillars which cannot be moved. Thy gentleness hath made me great. There are several readings of this sentence. The word is capable of being translated, Thy goodness hath made me great. David saw much of benevolence in God's action towards him, and he gratefully ascribed all his greatness not to his own goodness, but to the goodness of God. Thy providence is another reading, which is indeed nothing more than goodness in action. Goodness is the bud of which providence is the flower, or goodness is the seed of which providence is the harvest. Some render it, Thy help, which is but another word for providence, providence being the firm ally of the saints, aiding them in the service of their Lord. Certain learned annotators tell us that the text means Thy humility hath made me great. Thy condescension may, perhaps, serve as a comprehensive reading, combining the ideas which we have already mentioned, as well as that of humility. It is God's making himself little which is the cause of our being made great. We are so little, that if God should manifest his greatness without condescension, we should be trampled under his feet. But God, who must stoop to view the skies, and bow to see what angels do, looks at the lowly and contrite, and makes them great. While these are the translations which have been given to the adopted text of the original, we find that there are other readings altogether, as, for instance, the Septuagint, which reads, Thy Discipline thy fatherly correction hath made me great. While the Chaldee paraphrase reads, Thy word hath increased me, still the idea is the same. David ascribes all his own greatness to the condescending goodness and graciousness of his Father in heaven. Let us all feel this sentiment in our own hearts, and confess that whatever of goodness or greatness God may have put upon us, we must cast our crowns at his feet and cry, THY GENTLENESS HATH MADE ME GREAT. VERSE 36 THOU HAST ENLARGED MY STEPS A smooth pathway leading to spacious possessions and camping-grounds has been opened up for him. Instead of treading the narrow mountain paths and hiding in the cracks and corners of caverns, he was able to traverse the plains and dwell under his own vine and fig-tree, It is no small mercy to be brought into full Christian liberty and enlargement, but it is a greater favor still to be enabled to walk worthily in such liberty, not being permitted to slip with our feet. To stand upon the rocks of affliction is the result of gracious upholding, but that aid is quite as much needed in the luxurious plains of prosperity. Verse 37. The preservation of the saints bodes ill for their adversaries. The Amalekites thought themselves clear away with their booty, but when David's God guided him in the pursuit, they were soon overtaken and cut in pieces. When God is with us, sins and sorrow flee, and all forms of evil are consumed before the power of grace. What a noble picture this and the following verses present to us of the victories of our glorious Lord Jesus. Verse 38. The destruction of our spiritual enemies is complete. We may exult over sin, death, and hell, as disarmed and disabled for us by our conquering Lord. May he graciously give them a like defeat within us. Verses 39 and 40 It is impossible to be too frequent in the duty of ascribing all our victories to the God of our salvation. It is true that we have to wrestle with our spiritual antagonists, but the triumph is far more the Lord's than ours. We must not boast like the ambitious voltiaries of vainglory, but we may exult as the willing and believing instruments in the Lord's hands of accomplishing his great designs. Verse 41 They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Prayer is so notable a weapon that even the wicked will take to it in their fits of desperation. Bad men have appealed to God against God's own servants, but all in vain. The kingdom of heaven is not divided, and God never succors his foes at the expense of his friends. There are prayers to God which are no better than blasphemy, which bring no comfortable reply, but rather provoke the Lord to greater wrath. Shall I ask a man to wound or slay his own child to gratify my malice? Would he not resent the insult against his humanity? How much less will Jehovah regard the cruel desires of the enemies of the church, who dare to offer their prayers for its destruction, calling its existence schism and its doctrine heresy? Verse 42. The defeat of the nations who fought King David was so utter and complete that they were like powders pounded in a mortar. Their power was broken into fragments, and they became as weak as dust before the wind, and as mean as the mire of the roads. Thus powerless and base are the enemies of God now become through the victory of the Son of David upon the cross. Arise, O my soul, and meet thine enemies, for they have sustained a deadly blow, and will fall before thy bold advance. Hell and my sins resist my course, but hell and sin are vanquished foes. My Jesus nailed them to his cross, and sung the triumph when he rose. Verse 43 Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people. Internal strife is very hard to deal with. A civil war is war in its most miserable form. It is a subject for warmest gratitude when concord rules within. Our poet praises Jehovah for the union and peace which smiled in his dominions, and if we have peace in the three kingdoms of our spirit, soul, and body, we are in duty bound to give Jehovah a song. Unity in a church should assuredly excite like gratitude. Thou hast made me the head of the heathen, a people whom I have not known shall serve me. The neighboring nations yielded to the sway of Judas' prince. Oh, when shall all lands adore King Jesus, and serve him with holy joy? Surely there is far more of Jesus than of David here. Missionaries may derive rich encouragement from the positive declaration that heathen lands shall own the headship of the crucified. Verse 44. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. Thus readily did the once struggling captain become a far renowned victor, and thus easy shall be our triumphs. We prefer, however, to speak of Jesus. In many cases the gospel is speedily received by hearts apparently unprepared for it. Those who have never heard the gospel before have been charmed by its first message, and yielded obedience to it, while others, alas, who are accustomed to its joyful sound, are rather hardened than softened by its teachings. The grace of God sometimes runs like fire among the stubble, and a nation is born in a day. Love at first sight is no uncommon thing when Jesus is the wooer. He can write Caesar's message without boasting, Vene, vide, Vice. His gospel is in some cases no sooner heard than believed. What inducements to spread abroad the doctrine of the cross! Verse forty five the strangers shall fade away like sere leaves or blasted trees our foes and christ's foes shall find no sap and stamina remaining in them those who are strangers to jesus are strangers to all lasting happiness those must soon fade who refuse to be watered from the river of life and be afraid out of their close places Out of their mountain fastnesses the heathen crept in fear to own allegiance to Israel's king, and even so, from the castles of self-confidence and the dens of carnal security, poor sinners come bending before the Saviour, Christ the Lord. Our sins which have entrenched themselves in our flesh and blood as an impregnable fort shall yet be driven forth by the sanctifying energy of the Holy Spirit, and we shall serve the Lord in singleness of heart. Thus with remembrances of conquests in the past and with glad anticipations of victories yet to come the sweet singer closes the description and returns to exercise of more direct adoration of his glorious god verses forty six to fifty the lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the god of my salvation be exalted It is God that avengeth me, and subdueth people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed to david and to his seed for evermore verse forty six the lord liveth possessing underived essential independent and eternal life we serve no inanimate imaginary or dying god he only hath immortality like loyal subjects let us cry live on o god long live the king of kings By thine immortality do we dedicate ourselves afresh to thee. As the Lord our God liveth, so would we live to him. And blessed be my rock. He is the ground of our hope, and let him be the subject of our praise. Our hearts bless the Lord, with holy love extolling him. Jehovah lives, my rock be blessed. Praise be the God who gives me rest. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. As our Saviour, the Lord should more than ever be glorified. We should publish abroad the story of the covenant and the cross, the Father's election, the Son's redemption, and the Spirit's regeneration. He who rescues us from deserved ruin should be very dear to us. In heaven they sing, Unto him that loved us and washed us in his blood the like music should be common in the assemblies of the saints below. Verse 47 It is God that avengeth me, and subdueth the people under me. To rejoice in personal revenge is unhallowed and evil, but David viewed himself as the instrument of vengeance upon the enemies of God and his people, and had he not rejoiced in the success accorded to him, he would have been worthy of censure. That sinners perish is in itself a painful consideration, but that the Lord's law is avenged upon those who break it is, to the devout mind, a theme for thankfulness. We must, however, always remember that vengeance is never ours. Vengeance belongeth unto the Lord, and he is so just, and withal so long-suffering in the exercise of it, that we may safely leave its administration in his hands. Verse 48 From all enemies, and especially from the one who was preeminent in violence, the Lord's anointed was preserved, and at the last, over the head of Saul and all other adversaries, he reigned in honor. The like end awaits every saint, because Jesus, who stooped to be lightly esteemed among men, is now made to sit far above all principalities and powers. Verse 49. Paul cites this verse Romans 15:9 and that the gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause i will confess to thee among the gentiles and sing unto thy name this is clear evidence that david's lord is here but david is here too and is to be viewed as an example of a holy soul making its boast in god even in the presence of ungodly men Who are the despisers of God that we should stop our mouths for them? We will sing to our God, whether they like it or no, and force upon them the knowledge of his goodness. Too much politeness to traitors may be treason to our king. Verse 50. This is the winding-up verse, into which the writer throws a fullness of expression, indicating the most rapturous delight of gratitude. Great Deliverance the word deliverance is plural to show the variety and completeness of the salvation the adjective great is well placed if we consider from what to what and how we are saved all this mercy is given to us in our king the lord's anointed and those are blessed indeed who as his seed may expect mercy to be built up for evermore the lord was faithful to the literal david and he will not break his covenant with the spiritual David, for that would far more involve the honor of his crown and character. The psalm concludes in the same loving spirit which shone upon its commencement. Happy are they who can sing on from love to love, even as the pilgrims marched from strength to strength. End of Psalm 18